welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. This is episode 64, and today I'm talking with my friend Ann Johnson. Ann is so talented in so many different areas. Let's see, she is a pastry chef, she is a talented seamstress, artist, and she's a mom of two. But today, Ann is going to share with us her journey with postpartum mental health issues. And she was so excited to become a mom and felt very capable and optimistic about that journey. But she was really hit hard by some postpartum depression. She was shocked by that and really disillusioned by the thoughts she was having and she thought this is not me and I think a lot of moms have been there where you just feel like whoa where's this coming from today she's going to share how she got through that really hard time what she did to get help and how she was able to move forward and really embrace her motherhood so let's hear from Anne and hear how she's doing today how this experience has affected her motherhood and she'll definitely share some words of wisdom for any of you going through something similar today all right I want to welcome Ann Johnson to the show hi Anne hi how's it going it's going good it's going great great where am I talking to you from today I'm in Georgia I'm near Marietta Georgia okay or, you know, are familiar with Georgia awesome if I come to Georgia what's one thing I need to do there Going downtown is really fun. And actually, I'm all I can think about is going outside of where we live to Savannah. Savannah, Georgia is really cool. I've heard that's really cute. I'd love to go down there sometime. Yeah, that would be the number one thing I would say. If you're going to come to Georgia, go to Savannah. That's Don't awesome. Don't come to where I live. Go to Savannah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. That's how I feel about Virginia. It's like, yeah. they're like, oh, let me come visit you. And I'm like, um, well, <laughs> there's yeah. other parts of Virginia yeah. that are more touristy and fun to see or beautiful yeah. but yeah. yeah this is just where we live yeah well, cool well I'm excited for you to share your motherhood journey today so why don't you give the listeners a little background on yourself first to get us started okay well um I I live in Georgia now but I was born in Minnesota and um then I went to high school in Virginia uh, northern Virginia and I went to culinary school there too well pastry school um and so I just learned about, um, well, let me backtrack. First, I did um, some of my undergrad at Brigham Young University in Utah in Provo. Um, and then I took some time off to go to pastry school. What made you make that transition? Um, I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was talking to my mom at the time I was an art major. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my mom, and she said, you're pretty artistic, and you really like to bake. Maybe you should look at pastry school, and um, and then that would be something that would really line you into a career or a job. I was just worried about art not being financially, providing any financial stability for me. And so I wanted something where I could maybe see myself making some money. Yeah. <laughs> so I, even though being a pastry chef isn't necessarily lucrative either, but... Um, <laughs> And so I went, I just, I changed my major to food science and then I went to pastry school in Virginia. I found a pastry school there and 
Um, it was just a little school and I just really, really loved it. It was awesome. I met my husband when I, after pastry school and we, um, lived in a few places, but eventually moved to Iowa for grad school. And I worked there as the pastry chef for the university of Iowa, um, while he was going to grad school in Iowa. And so that was a really fun time in our lives in Iowa. And my, my parents lived there, so that was really fun. And then I worked there for about a year, and then I had my daughter, um, Jane. She's three and a half now. And then we moved to Georgia, and now we have a little boy, Anders, who is nine months, ten months. That's awesome. That's so great. How fun. Yeah. Well, cool. So let's just jump in and... Let's go back to those early days of motherhood for you. So you're living in Iowa, and you are ready to start your family, and you're ready to bring Jane into the world. So tell me about that time. What were you expecting motherhood to be like? What were um, your expectations kind of for those early days? And then how was it actually for you? Yeah, so I um, I was very excited to be a mom. Um, I uh, kind of was not drilled into me, but it was something that I just saw. I had a lot of great examples of mothers in my life. I was excited to do that. Um, I really loved my job at the University of Iowa, but I also was raring to go to be a mom. And I just couldn't wait. We waited about three years and we kind of talked about starting to try for our daughter and well, for a child, we didn't Mm -hmm. know it was going to be a daughter. And I, um, and so I was just excited about that. My mom was really creative and really threw awesome birthday parties and did a lot of um, really fun things for us. And I really looked forward to that, being a mom and doing that for my kids. Um, she was like the Pinterest mom before there was Pinterest. She, <laughs> you know, that's kind of what she was like. Yeah. Um, so I got pregnant and I got pregnant pretty easily. And um uh, I've always been a worrier. Pregnancy didn't change that, so I was very <laughs> concerned that something was going to happen to the baby. And I wasn't antis- I was anticipating that a little bit, but you don't really know until you're there and you- the worry is real. Right. So that stood out to me. I was just very worried about something happening to the baby um, all the time. And then I was also really sick. I was sick probably. I I worked in a bakery and I worked around kitchens, so there were a lot of smells. Um, I wasn't so sick that I couldn't go to work, but I threw up probably five or six times a day. Wow. And so I told, I told my, like everybody, I was like, I, it was a professional vomiter. I just like <laughs> could do it and I could almost like just apprehend it. And I would like go to my places where I knew where nobody could see me. And I was really good at vomiting. Wow. <laughs> not, not like the most coveted of skill set, but you know, I guess that's a good claim to fame to have if you're going to have that for nine months. <laughs> so I was sick for that. Oh no. The things we do for our kids. (laughs) I know. So I was sick for about 30 weeks. Um, and then I, and then it kind of went away and I was fine. Um, but I, the the early days of motherhood, you can't really prepare very well. Um, cause it just kind of hits you. I, um, we didn't know what, we didn't find out what we were going to have when I was pregnant. And so when we, found out that we were having a girl and they said, you know, the doctor holds up the baby. It's a girl. That was extremely exciting. There was a lot of joy in that moment. A lot of, it was, I was so thrilled. I was really excited. But, um, I think those first few nights in the hospital and then bringing her home was just completely overwhelming and very, um, strange. (laughs) I expected this bond of love to come out and just like immediately, um, 
feel like I just knew her and loved her and I just it just didn't happen for me and I instead felt kind of funny and like I didn't know what I was doing and a little bit lost and I remember we got home from the drive from the hospital it was like a five minute drive and I just got home and I was like what do I do now what do I do I don't have nurses taking care of me and I don't I don't have people around me bustling around and I just so that was something I just completely didn't anticipate feeling. Yeah. And I think that buildup of you have nine months of anticipation and thinking that maybe you can guess what it's going to be like and what you're going to be like, and what they're going to be like, and what everybody's going to be like. And then, I mean, it's impossible that it's ever going to be exactly the way you envisioned it. Even if you do yeah. bond quickly with your child. Yeah. There's just, it's a lot at yeah. one time. Mm-hmm. And I really loved, I mean, of course I loved her. Yeah. Um, I absolutely loved her, but it was, it was, it was just this funny feeling that I just, I, it's hard to describe, but yeah. I was, I felt a little bit, um, like I just didn't know what to do with myself and I didn't know what to do with her and how could they let me take her home when I don't know what I'm doing and mm. just kind of feeling that way and feeling isolated, feeling really isolated. I remember like, yeah, waking up in the middle of the night and being like, I am all alone. <laughs> you know, I'm all alone in the middle of the night with this baby. And the darkness is so hard. You know, like I, I used to, with my first, I would dread the sun going down and yes. the night sky turning Six to dark. <sighs> and I would just think, here we go again. Like this is going to be a really long night because I didn't have, you know, classic um, postpartum mental health issues, but my child would get up like six to seven times a night. And so I just knew, here we go, like, and I'm going to wake up like a zombie the next day and hardly sleep. And so I would just get, I guess I did get anxious anticipating, here we go again. And those nights yeah. just seemed so very long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dreading the, the nighttime was really hard. And everything seems better in the daylight, even if it's still Mm -hmm. hard in the day. Something about just the darkness and everyone else getting to sleep and not think about what's going on. You being awake in the middle of the night at 4 4 a.m. and thinking, I'm the only one awake. Mm -hmm. Like everyone else gets to rest and I'm just buzzing inside me. Yeah. 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 It was, yeah. And in that way it was isolating and it was just, and it was, it was hard. It was a little bit hard, but it wasn't, um, but I wouldn't say it was, like, impossible those first few days, but it was definitely a challenge. Yeah, so. for sure, yeah. for sure. So um, after those first few days and um, as you're kind of maybe getting the hang of things, did it eventually start clicking, or how did things evolve over those next few weeks and months? Well, I think the – obviously my my ability to bond with my daughter, like, improved as, as we went along, um, and I – started feeling more comfortable because you're taking care of them all the time. And I worked, I went back to work. Um, I took my post, my maternity leave for six weeks and then I went back to work for a few couple months. That was Mm -hmm. it. Um, and so it was great to have that time and then go back to work, gave me some structure in my day. So everything sort of did seem to fall into place, but the anxiety hit really early. Well, I should say that, um, obsessive compulsive disorder hit really early. It was about like a couple weeks when she was home that I started noticing symptoms. So that really threw me for a loop. Okay. Have you ever had obsessive compulsive disorder before this? Yeah. So I had, I I was diagnosed when I was um, a little kid. Okay. And I kind of intermittently would show, you know, I would show symptoms of it. And it was worse when I was younger. 
and it was very classic. Like I'd wash my hands dozens of times because I would be worried about germs or uh-huh. I would um, touch things multiple times because I thought if I didn't, um, something bad would happen. Uh-huh. And so I, that, that was, it was really like that. As I became a teenager, um, it was more, it moved from those kinds of compulsive behaviors to just a lot of worrying compulsively about things. Uh-huh. I worried a lot about being good. Um, I'm a pretty religious person. I worried a lot about morality and being like doing good things and being a good person mm-hmm. and um, to an obsessive area. Yeah. I was kind of worried about it too much. Um, but as I grew into adulthood, it kind of, the symptoms sort of, I was able to work through them. I would be, I would take medication every so often and that helped a ton. Um, and I was really able to kind of get to a place where it really didn't, bother me so so much every time every so often I would get anxious about things um but I had learned a lot of tools growing up that I kind of knew how to handle it but the kind of feelings suddenly when I had my daughter um I I was experiencing symptoms that I'd never had before I didn't know how to categorize them and so I didn't know how to deal with them and they seemed really scary to me at the time so because you were maybe predisposed to this were you concerned that this might happen post-pregnancy or were you surprised by this I maybe didn't put enough thought into it uh-huh. I was so nervous that something was going to happen to her in utero mm. that I didn't really think about when she got out yeah <laughs> that's interesting I yeah just so consumed a bit with that thought that oh my gosh she's not going to make it I'm going to have she's going to be stillborn or there's going to be something that will happen that when she actually was there I hadn't really thought about the things I might worry about when she was alive in my arms. And so I, I didn't, I naively, no, I didn't really think about it. I kind of, it crossed my mind. Um, but I didn't really like specifically, you know, bear myself or get, prepare myself and say, okay, I might have this happen to me. I need to be on the lookout. Right. No, I really (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think, and I don't think that's your fault. I think a lot of people find themselves in that similar situation, whether or not they've had um, issues like that beforehand, but just not really realizing when they're in the thick of it, what is really going on. Yeah. You know, I've heard that time and time again. And even like a professional, um, oh, back in May when I had Marissa Lawton on, she has a background in mental health and psychology and things. And she suffered from postpartum anxiety and she did not see it in herself. And she didn't like prepare herself for it, even though she had tons of experience counseling other people through it. So, I mean, it's to no fault of your own to not have prepared yourself or to exactly be able to diagnose it even when you you know, are experiencing when these things. In the of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're trying to learn how to take care of another human being. So your yeah. ability to take care of yourself really becomes very limited. Yes. Um, yeah. And so you just aren't being very, um, you're so self-aware when you're pregnant, you're yeah. very much, you know, how's my mood? How am I feeling? Oh, is this the baby? Is that, you know, but when you have the baby, everybody, nobody asks you how you're doing. Everybody asks you how the baby's doing. Yes. And so, and yes, Anne. Yes. <laughs> about, oh, is the baby comfortable? Is this and this and this? And so you're not really, suddenly my ability to think about my own thoughts just, it just was, I just wasn't good at it anymore. <laughs> I yeah. wasn't there in my head. 
that is a really good point that you brought up that everyone's asking about the baby, but people aren't asking about you. So I think that's a really good tip for the listeners to make sure that not only are you checking in on the baby and asking about how they're doing, but really asking pointed questions to the moms about how are you doing as a person, (laughs) not just, you know, in terms of the feedings, in terms of the, you know, sleep sleep deprivation and everything, but how are you really truly doing? Doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. easy to overlook because the baby's the focus as it should be. Yeah, you know, but for sure. Okay. So tell me more. So as you started to develop the OCD type behaviors and thoughts again, um, where did that take you? I guess the first time I noticed something going on was, um, my daughter, uh, had this period where she, um, you know, when she would get fussy and she was, it was between 6 p.m. and midnight every day, she'd be fussy and just wouldn't really, not like screaming your head, her head off or anything, just kind of fussy, wouldn't fall asleep really during mm-hmm. that time. And then finally midnight on the dock, she would go to sleep and she would sleep for eight hours actually. She did this from the time she was two weeks old until for, you know, wow. until she grew out of that fussiness. Yeah. And so I was really um, grateful because I got eight hours. Well, I didn't get eight hours of sleep, but I was supposed to, I had this baby that would sleep for these long stretches and I, but I would get so angry when she was fussy between six and midnight and I really had a hard time and the thoughts started coming and I would have, um, I would have like scary thoughts about, um, sometimes when I would get angry, I would get like a flash of a thought that came into my mind that would be somewhat violent. But of course I wasn't there. I was just frustrated with the baby. I didn't want to actually do anything. So that terrified me. It absolutely terrified me. I I thought I was being a horrible mother. I had no patience. I had these weird thoughts that were coming to my mind. What was wrong with me? Then at nighttime it would shift, you know, the baby's sleeping, everybody's happy. Um, it would shift into, um, she, I got to go check on her. There's something I, I got to make sure that she's still breathing. I have to go check on her. What if I went crazy and I did something and I don't remember and she's in there and I have done something to her and I don't know. And so I would go and check. And as she was sleeping, I would check her dozens of times at night. I got no sleep. I just would check, 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 check. And my husband would be like checking. And I just had a hard time. I couldn't do it. And, um, and I, and then, and then because I wasn't getting sleep and also because, um, the anxiety really was getting worse for me, not better. Um, it shifted to during the day. I just kind of started to worry all the time at anything that was potentially harmful to her just totally freaked me out because I didn't trust myself and I didn't mm-hmm. trust the world. And so, Walking on a bridge was just scary to me. And wow. looking at a knife was scary to me. Anything that could harm her, I could think of a million reasons of why. I guess just think of a million worries that yeah. were associated with those items. And some of them were like very disturbing thoughts that I had about myself doing things to her. But other times it was just worrying about random things happening to her that had nothing to do with me. But I it went in that direction and it just kind of, kind of, it, it kind of snowballed. I was still able to function and do my stuff in my day-to-day life, but I, but internally I was really, um, having a hard time and I couldn't, 
I couldn't sleep very well. I was getting a lot of headaches, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm sure. So during that time, were you ever able to like step outside and look at your at your life and at your thoughts like more objectively and realize that these thoughts weren't real, these worries weren't true? I mean, could could you separate those thoughts from reality? Or I mean, I having not been through it, I'm just trying to like see how this works because I'm sure there's yeah. listeners that totally get it and they're like, "Yep, exactly." And there's some that are probably like, "I don't know about that." But no, but but for the people that haven't been through it, it is hard to understand. But yeah. it's so yeah. critical to believe that this is this is real and this is legit. And I've heard this story time and time again in different versions, and you have to believe the person is feeling the way they're feeling, is thinking yeah. the way they're thinking. Just because you haven't experienced it, it doesn't mean it's not real. Yeah. So I'm just trying to, you know, paint that picture maybe for people that haven't walked through it. Yeah. Well, I think what, as you asked that, what I thought of is, um, was something that's kind of universal is we all worry about our, um, we all worry about our ovens being on, you know, uh-huh. or something when we leave the house. And um, for me, it kind of was similar to that thought but imagine that maybe times like 10 or 20 yeah and and instead of you've left the oven on it's something that you've done to harm somebody else and you think and because your mind is bombarding you with thoughts at some point you know that it's not you know that it shouldn't be real you know that logically that doesn't make sense right but at the same time your ability to process because you're tired when you're a new mom and your ability to process in in my own mind, because I obsess, um, my ability to process really kind of breaks down over time and the more tired I get, the worse it is. So that's why it was so bad for me at night. Right. And why it kind of got worse as I was more and more tired. Yeah, Um, I can see that. And so I was able to tell logically that, and obviously when I would go in and check her and she would be fine, I knew that I was wrong. (laughs) I knew that I was like this wasn't right. I was, she's fine. And so logically I did know that it was coming from a weird place, but I couldn't really help myself, um, see that in the middle of the night, at least not enough that it would stop me from compulsively checking her. Yeah. Compulsively doing things. And so, um, and I was really, really scared to tell my husband, um, because I was very worried that he would think that I was, um, a little bit crazy because these thoughts sound a little bit crazy. Right. And, and like, looked, should you be trusted with the baby? And I exactly. mean, that's kind of where you go with that. Right. Yeah. Cause everything I'd looked up online, um, I Googled the symptoms I was having and everything. It, it always took me to postpartum psychosis. And that was, that's a big deal. Really big deal. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was just freaking out. So I thought, you know what? I know that I am a good mother. I know that I'm not going to actually do anything, but I don't really want to tell anybody because I don't want them to think that these thoughts are legitimate. Right. Um, So did you ever tell anybody? I didn't know until I went to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. I told my husband that I was worrying a lot and he obviously knew that I was checking Jane a lot, um, at night. And so I just told him I was going to go and see a therapist because I was worrying a lot and having some anxiety, but I never really told him. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that, that choice to go see the therapist. And then what was that like to finally be able to tell somebody? Yeah. Well, I, I, um, it took a long time. It shouldn't have taken as long as it did, but (laughs) how long did it take? Well, I guess it, it maybe it takes other people longer, but it took about three months for me. And when Mm -hmm. you think about all of those 
those experiences and thoughts that you're having every single day. I mean, that, that was a long time for me to deal with that. For sure. Um, I should have gone earlier, but I finally decided just because I, 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 I realized that I, um, that this probably was an anxiety disorder. This probably wasn't something that she would say, you're a bad person. We need to take your baby away. Mm-hmm. I kind of had to, um, get some courage to do that. Cause for a while I thought that's what the, rea- the reaction would be. And then I thought, no, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think I just need to go and make the appointment. I think it will really help. Um, and above all, I just need to, I knew I needed to take some medication and I knew that that would really help. And so I just, I made the appointment, um, one day after work. Cause at that point I was still working and, um, and I went in and I ex- very tentatively <laughs> explained to her, um, a little bit of what I was experiencing. And she like right off the bat said, Oh, that is classic postpartum depression and we'll get you on some medication and you'll be great. And, um, I just felt the hugest wave of wave of relief. It yeah. was, Oh my gosh. Like somebody just took the world off my shoulders. It was just so, um, it was such a relief because I realized that I wasn't alone and that it was, a, it, they were classic symptoms. Yeah. I wasn't going crazy. And she didn't even bat an eye when yeah, I told her. because you are not your symptoms. These symptoms are happening to you, and these thoughts are happening to you, but this is not Anne. Like, I know you no. personally. This is not you, you know? Yeah. And and you know it's not you, but you're afraid yeah. that the people around you might think, well, is it you? And I'm yeah. sure that is a very common thought process. And so yeah. then you then you stay silent about it, and that's the worst thing you can do for yourself. Exactly, because then it just compounds in your mind, and you're just you're just in your own head, and you can't get out. Yes. So having somebody tell me that it's not you, like you said, that it's yeah. these are your symptoms, and they're pretty classic ones. That that I just felt like um, I could suddenly process everything so much better because when the thought came, I was able to put it into I was able to compartmentalize it and say that is not me. That is a symptom. I'm going to put it over here. I don't need to pay attention to it. So that alone gave me a huge, um, a ton of confidence in my own mind and in my own ability yeah. to be a mother. And power over those thoughts. Yeah. 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 And in power over the worries and just all of it. And then when she told me that, I went back um, to my experiences as a kid and as a teenager. And I was like, duh, that makes sense. <laughs> That's where this is all coming from. And I know how to do this. I know how to suppress my obsessive thoughts. I know how to handle those compulsions. And so I was able to just click back and get into that mindset. And then obviously getting going back on um, medication, pretty low dosage for me. But that really takes the edge off the worry, right. the pain and the anxiety, so that you can train your own mind to um, – your, it helps your mind to realize what is a little bit more normal, and then you can train your own mind to um, recognize that so that when you're off the medication and things get a little bit hard, you can think back and say, okay, this isn't normal. That was normal, right. and so I need to handle it as I did back then. And so that was really helpful too, going back, going on the medication for a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's important not to be just solely reliant on medication to take yeah. away your symptoms because like you said, eventually you hope to get off the medication and when that happens, you don't want to just be left to your own devices if you yeah. have no other coping skills. So I think, did you continue therapy along with um, the medication? You know, I actually didn't. Um, 
because I felt like I had learned so many tools yeah. and really, it was really just the knowledge of what was going on right. that I, all that I needed for me. I know other people would really benefit from continuing therapy, but for me, mm. I just needed to know what was going on. I needed somebody to say, this is what's going on and you're fine and you know, and, and then I was able to click those tools back in and you're absolutely right. Medication only start, solves part of the problem. Mm-hmm. It really is the tools, the tools that the coping skills that you learn, um, that you have that can really solve it for you. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. I had this thought the other day because, um, you know, after you have a baby, you make your first appointment six weeks out with your OB to do a follow-up. And a lot can happen in those six weeks. I mean, that's a long time. And your baby's getting checked in between that time. But you are not getting checked. You are not. No one's asking how you're doing. Yeah. No one is assessing your mental state or or even your physical state. Six weeks is a long time. And so I thought, you know, what if you go ahead and, you know, three weeks postpartum, you go ahead and set an appointment with a counselor or a therapist or a psychologist or whatever it is, or even your OB. Yeah. Set an appointment with somebody reliable that can accurately assess and ask you how you are doing in a safe okay. space where you feel like you can be vulnerable and tell them exactly how you're feeling. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, two months, and it doesn't hit always right away, these, uh-huh. these types of yeah. symptoms. So, and then maybe you set another one for three months out. But yeah. I mean, the worst that can happen is you waste an appointment and you say, you know what? I'm doing great. You yeah. know, and things are going really well. Well, yeah. fine. You know, but sometimes it's really hard to book an appointment. It takes a long time to to get in, and so that waiting time can be an eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, once you finally commit to wanting to see seek out help, um, but then, like you said, like you endured it way too long in hindsight, and it's like, why yeah. didn't I get help two months sooner? When I really yeah. realized, you know. So what yeah. if we did that for? a checkup as well to check in with our mental as well as our physical that could help so much it would and really in hindsight and it's something that I um think would be a great idea going along with that is um bringing it up to your OBGYN if you're feeling funny because they can because it was actually my OBGYN that prescribed the medication to uh-huh. me. I went and saw this therapist she couldn't prescribe the medication but my OBGYN could okay so the OBGYNs can do that for you um and so it's great if you, for that six week follow up, if you go and you can, if you feel brave enough to mention what you're experiencing, because they can help you, or if not, they can point you towards somebody who can help you. Then my other thought was talk to your kid's pediatrician. I mean, you're mm-hmm. in there all the time with right. them, and you can, you can definitely talk to them about, um, they might not know how to help you specifically, but they could also point to somebody who could help you and, um, or even help you make that appointment. And so, and that's something I kind of wish I had taken advantage of a little more. Right. Well, and they can tell you what's normal and what's not normal. They see hundreds and thousands of of new moms and exhaustion, normal, you know, a difficulty breastfeeding and then some turmoil around that that can be very, very normal. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, mental health issues where you need above and beyond help. But yeah, there's a, a point where you're parenting under a cloud yeah. and that's not normal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and somebody needs to tell you that sometimes. Yeah. 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 Wow. So when you went on to have your second child, Anders, were you worried? <laughs> like, were you totally worried Anne, that this was going <laughs> to strike you again? I, I was a little bit, um, just because I, the intensity of those worries was a little bit hard, especially right. at first. And, and actually some of the things that were the hardest were the physical 
um, complications that came from the worries. I got a lot of headaches after my daughter was born, and I think it was due to stress. Mm. Um, and so I was very worried about the worrying, and I was worried about <laughs> the stress that would come from the worrying. Um, and then um, my obviously I knew I would be coming from a better place because I knew what to look for. Mm. Um, but, yeah, when my son was born, um, I had the opposite experience. <laughs> really? And it was um, totally, completely different. And so in a lot, in like every possible way. And so I, my worries were unfounded. (laughs) Yeah. In that case. But at least, I mean, it's more important to not necessarily worry over the potential worry, but just to be aware and to be like, okay, this could be really happening again. And so I need to be ready for it. I need to be aware that if these thoughts start happening, I'm going to get help now, not in, you know, three months too late, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I think it's better to worry than to not worry over that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, it also helped because I knew as a mom and now that, because I'd been a mom for three years, my daughter was three when my son was born, I knew how to take care of myself better with the Mm. kid. And that was key. There were so many things with my second that just weren't issues with my first, um, I knew with my daughter, I ended up kind of stopping breastfeeding early, which ended up being a really good thing for me. Um, maybe not the best for her, but it was good for me. And with my son, I kind of just did that too. I was like, you know what? If I make six months, that's great. If not, that's great. Um, and so I was able to give myself more breaks. I was able to let myself eat the chocolate and drink the diet Coke without, you know, those little things really helped me like just, being good to myself helped me be a better mother and less stressed. And obviously that's not going to work for everybody. I was a little bit, maybe had a more mild experience, but, um, doing those little things with my son just helped tremendously. And also the fact that I was doing it for the second time around and I felt a little more confident that helped too. But when those worries did come and they did with my son, I was just able to say, you know what? I've been there before. I know that those are unfounded. I don't need to worry about those. They're not even real. And I'm just going to move on. And, and there were some times where it was harder than that, but like, it was just a lot more enjoyable. I was able to find ways to like, like we were talking about the nighttime dread. Yeah. Um, I had that with my daughter really bad, but with, and it caused me a lot of stress and a lot of worry. But with my son, I said, you know what? I'm going to find a show that I want to watch every time I have to wake up and breastfeed him. So I would find a show on Netflix. I would binge watch it every time. And then when I had to wake up with him, sometimes I actually looked forward to it because I had this show waiting for me. Right. What's going to happen to so-and-so and are they going to, you know, live and survive from their, you know, whatever diagnosis. And so I had this great yeah. show that I watched and I would get my chocolate that I'd snack on or my, you know, what cup of water I'd set up my little station and doing like those little baby steps with my son just like made it a completely different experience for me. Yeah. I love that. Aren't you so proud of yourself for how far you've come? <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess I am. I've never really thought about it. You've in that really way. figured it out. And it's not that those thoughts didn't come the second time, but it is totally the way you approached it. And the way that you kind of just knocked it out. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you would have been willing to go on medication again or to, you know, do those extra steps if needs be. But you were really able to keep it at bay 
because of the power of your own mind and just being able to figure out, okay, how, like, what can I do to alleviate the nighttime dread? What yeah. can I do to, you know, take the pressure off of nursing? What, and you figured out what works for you and you gave yourself permission to just be the best mom that you trusted yourself to be. Yeah. Way to go. Well, thanks. That's I a think big deal. Being a, being a good mom requires a ton of introspection and understanding yeah. yourself. Right. And and if you can learn how to what makes you tick and what helps you feel better in a ton of different situations, um, that that just can be key. And obviously, it's not a cure all, but yeah. for me, it really was helpful. And and actually, I have a little bit of a theory that if you're, it takes a little bit of this is going to sound kind of weird, but it takes a little bit of laziness to be a good parent. Sometimes yeah. you have to be willing to say, and maybe, well, I won't bring up this because I don't want to offend anybody, but um, for for me, like, sometimes saying no to my kids if they want me to play or sometimes, um, you know, eating the chocolate cake in the pantry where they can't find me <laughs> or um, for me, um even stopping breastfeeding. Some people might think that wasn't the right choice, but being doing something for me that maybe required less work on my part was, um, I think it has made me a better mother. And in, and now as my daughter is three and she sees that mom has things that she likes to do and mom has things that she, um, doesn't like to do (laughs) and mom sometimes, and mom needs her time to do those things like sewing or whatever my other hobbies are. Um, I think it's made, it's worked to her benefit and she's an independent and confident girl who understands that her mother is a person. And, um, even though you don't want to, you don't want to do it all the time. You don't want to be super lazy all the time, but I think there is a part of parenthood that being a good parent that involves being a little bit lazy and yeah, but I don't good even to think, ourselves, I don't, if I, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it makes your explanation makes a lot of sense. I would re I would reframe the word lazy though, because you're really not being lazy by saying no to certain things or by no do giving you know allowing yourself to indulge in your own hobbies. You're yeah. really not being lazy. You are putting yourself on the list. Yeah, you're taking care of everybody else all day long. Yeah, and moms take themselves off the list too often. Yeah. And we need to put ourselves on the list and yeah. we don't need to feel mom guilt about it or shame or embarrassment or like we're lazy. Yeah. We yeah. need to feel like this is going to recharge my batteries. Yeah. Sewing is going to recharge my batteries. Doing some art is going to recharge my batteries. Mm-hmm. By saying no to playing all all morning long, mm-hmm. they're developing independent play skills. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's right. not been, that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's putting yourself on the list. Yeah. I really like that. But in my own head, I yeah. would think as I was doing that, oh, I'm being, I'm being really lazy. Yeah. And so, and then I, but I would just tell myself, it's, it's okay. Well, it's good yeah. to be lazy sometimes. But Whatever I like, works. I like your, your yeah. Putting yourself on the list is yeah. much kinder. It's kinder. kinder, it's kinder. It. Yeah. I mean, it's whatever works for you, however you want to label it, whatever works for you, but you definitely don't want it to ever feel like you're not good enough because you're lazy. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. It's it, But it's it's however you want to view it. And obviously you've come to terms with <laughs> accepting like a little lower standard and, and you may you use that as lazy, but to everyone else they're thinking you're super mom, you know? <laughs> I don't know about that. 
You're awesome. Well, what would you tell anybody that might be experiencing something similar in their life? I mean, I'm sure we've talked about this in a hundred different ways throughout this, this conversation, but is there any specific advice you'd give to them? Um, I would say that you, um, even if you're not experiencing what I did, um, you, that you never need to compromise your own happiness. Mm-hmm. When you become a mother, I think there's a lot of like self-sacrifice that is required, obviously, and that's important. And I and you should, I mean, motherhood is all, the ultimate service, and that is very important. And there are some times where you have to put your happiness aside because your baby is crying and you need to hold them and they want you. But you never need to compromise your happiness especially in a long term mm-hmm. uh, motherhood. You don't need to be a martyr to be a good mother. It's yes. not, it's, it's, it's not, it shouldn't be torture. It should be happy. And, um, and there is no such thing as an insignificant, insignificant mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you don't think, if you don't, li- if you listen to, um, what I've said or what somebody else has said, and it seems so extreme or something that you haven't felt. And yet you still kind of feel like you're, you're worrying a lot or that you feel off or you don't feel happy. Well, that's not insignificant. Mm-hmm. And that, and that needs to be um, something that you should, that you should really take time for and, and figure out for yourself um, and go and see somebody and go and talk to somebody about it. That is really great advice. That's really great. Wow. Anne, you're awesome. Oh, this is, well, great. This is you are too. This is, oh, well, thank I you. To interview you. <laughs> So many great ideas. Oh, it's so it's such a pleasure getting to talk to so many extraordinary moms. I mean, it's just really it's an inspiring thing. Yeah. So I always ask my guests one final question, and it's this: What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Well, self-care is crucial um, and okay. It's not something to feel good about, or sorry, good guilty about. It's not something to feel guilty about. That um, I, I would tell myself that I should have like make sure you eat your food, make sure you take naps when you can, exercise. Like you have to take care of yourself, even though sometimes it's not something you want to do that you should do. It's important to be a good mom. And then I also would tell myself because this has caused me a lot of anxiety in my life. Don't worry about enjoying every moment. You have so many people that come up to you and say, "Oh, enjoy every moment. Those babies are only young once." And and I would just be like, "Oh my gosh, I have to enjoy every moment. I need to." <laughs> I but sometimes it's impossible, and because there's going to be some other moment that will come along that will be wonderful, and you'll enjoy it, and that will be great. And then there will be another moment where you're in Target and all of the kids are crying, and you don't have to enjoy every moment. Um, <laughs> All you have to do is love your kids. Yes. <laughs> I do. That's perfect. That is a fabulous ending. Yes. And thanks so much for sharing your journey. I know that there were just so many important takeaways. I love that you don't need to be a martyr to be a mother. I love that. That That's profound. That is great. Thank you so much, Anne. You are an extraordinary mom. Oh, thank you, Jessica. This was a pleasure today. Everyone's going to love it. So great to talk to you. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Have a good one. Thanks, you too.